In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So if you guys remember, we said that the first part of the book of Proverbs are instruction to younger people. And we talked about that it's about nine lectures, uh, ten lectures. We also talked about after lecture eight was done, there was like an appendix to lecture eight, and he talked about three different kinds of people that you should be careful about. The first time we talked about the concept of being a cosigner, and we talked about how cosigning is nothing that we should do. We should help the poor, we should help those who are in need, but I should not put myself in a situation where I cannot able to uh, fulfill a responsibility I made and I could eventually harm my family. But this is what last, uh, last lecture, and this was related to younger people because a lot of times younger people can rush out of zeal, out of uh, pride, whatever it is, to try to guarantee somebody or loyalty to a friend but sometimes it could be problematic. The second type of person he's going to talk about is a lazy person. He's going to talk about from verse 6 to 11 about laziness. Okay? He says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. This is uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Okay? So he's asking him to go, wake up from your laziness and go check the ant. The ant, by the way, there's about a hundred different types of ant, but here specifically, he's probably talking about the one where, uh, what they call the harvester ant, that was in Palestine. And what it used to do, it used to store its food throughout the year, so it can eat it in the winter. By saying, look at the ant that is, has a strongly, she follows a strong system. And he's asking you to look at it and to learn and to observe. Sometimes a good way to learn is to look at people, how they're acting, and to learn from them. The concept of people able to learn from anybody is critical. Actually, believe it or not, some people in the early church like St. Augustine talked about how he would not listen to his mom because she was a woman. He said, you used to, he's talking to God, he told him, you used to speak to me on the lips of my mother, but I did not listen because she was a woman. In his mind, he belittled the fact that she was a woman. Sometimes people might belittle the concept that I'm listening, God speaking to me on the lips of a child or the lips of a, a, a like a, a person that I don't think highly of. God is telling us, look even at the small creature and learn from it. Everything around us points to the lesson that God wants to teach us. And we don't need to go far to see a lot of the footprint of God everywhere. The concept of working and actually doing your school work and going to colleges and doing your jobs and all these things, this is a very blessed by God. This was the first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve. He said, he said be, blessed, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Every time I'm studying, every time I'm working, I'm subduing the earth. It's a commandment 
that God has given everyone. So all of us are required to work and to work hard. This is nothing to compromise on. And I should never feel that my studying or my work is separate from God or outside the plan of God. All of it is included. My studying, my work is part of the plan. You guys know, and if you guys remember when we studied First Thessalonians, what happened? They were persecuted church, so St. Paul sent them a letter and encouraged them, and he told them, don't worry, the second coming is soon. So when he told them the second coming is soon, what happened? People stopped working. They said, you know what, we don't need to work. Second coming is soon, so I don't need to do anything. Let me just prepare for the kingdom of heaven. What did St. Paul tell them? Second Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, For even when, you were, when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Somebody does not work, should not eh, eat. But don't say, you know, I'm so spiritual. I, I want to prepare myself for the kingdom of heaven, so I'm not going to work. Are you going to eat? Or no? Am I going to have to eat? For we hear that there, this is the second Thessalonians, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Now these who are such, we command and exert through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And this is an important concept. There's a difference between me helping somebody who's in need and somebody who's lazy, who does not want to work. That is not acceptable. The Bible says if you do not work, you should not eat. It's very clear. And this is also important in the concept of a spiritual life. So St. Augustine said what? He says the lazy has not it imitated the end. He has not gathered to himself grains while it was summer. What do I mean by while it was summer? While he had quieted of, of a life, while he had the world's prosperity, when he had leisure, when he, had be, when he was being called happy by all, while it was summer, he used, he should have imitated the end. He should have heard the word of God. He should have gathered together the grains. But St. Augustine is saying, he says, all of us have a period where we are required to collect the grains. What does that mean? Sometime in your life, you have no problems. Everything is going fine. No issue. Work is fine, friends fine, family is fine. So what should I do in that time? I should store like the ant does. I should start trying to read more the Word of God. I should try to build my life more. That's what St. Augustine is saying. Because the winter will come when I will be so stressed, so busy, and I will live off some of these things that I have stored in the time when I was able to enjoy easy period. A lot of times people in the rest time or easy period time, they get lazy, sin penetrate the life, and becomes a period of sinful life rather than a period of storage. A lot of time also, laziness kicks in a lot, believe it or not, when people do not have the structure of work. Like when people are working or studying, 
they have a good schedule, they have good routine, they're able to do everything. Once they stop studying, once they stop working, everything falls through. What happened? They have not been working, which is the working part of our day, by the way, controls the body, discipline the body. For the body is tamed, and because the body is tamed, it's actually able to do more. But when it remains untamed, it goes wild. He says, he's talking about the ant. He says, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler. The ant has no need for somebody to tell her, go, store food. You know, it's like, it's like the people of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they, they were driven by fear. They had somebody to oversee them. And if they don't do what they need to do, they'll be beaten. And sometimes people might be driven by fear more than by wisdom. Okay? That's why a lot of times you talk to somebody's lazy, you find him coming up with these weird excuses. Oh, I'm not motivated. Oh, I don't feel like it. Oh, nobody ever invites me. Oh, nobody ever pushes me. Oh, how can I do this? Do you need uh, somebody with a stick so you can, you can do your work? Does a teacher has to always have a grading system in order for you to work hard? Does God need to have that? Does, does your God has to have a, an employee evaluation every six months in order for us to work hard? Question for us, right? So he says, the ant itself does not have somebody that tells her, you must do it or, or else. She already knows from her experience if she does not collect food, she will die from hunger. We already know from our experience, if I do not store, I'm going to continue to live in the same stagnant spiritual life that I've been living in for years. So the Bible is teaching us time management is wisdom. Self-motivation is wisdom. This is something we can learn from the end. A lot of people, for example, this period, when they started working from home during COVID, they have not become faithful because they're self-motivated by being at work and maybe their manager would walk in any, any moment at them or whatever it is to push them. Even, by the way, as Christians, people are people should work hard to develop their talents as much as they can, even in their careers. This is part of the commandment that God has given us, that I develop my skill, not to be obsessed with money and, and, and positions, but more to develop what God has given me. Trust me, even a lot of research shows this. She says, people stay at a job not because they get paid well, but because they feel valued. So if you have a choice, be choice between two jobs, if your boss value you and like you, you're most likely to stay at that job. Even if you're making a, bit, a little bit less money than another job where you feel not valued at. So for us to, for us to understand this is important. When I manage my time, when I'm self-motivated, this is wisdom from God. This is not just a self-help book or a motivation video you saw on YouTube. This is what God has been telling us 
from the beginning. And it's really interesting how the Bible brings the end because if you guys remember in Hebrews 13, 7, it says what? Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the world of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their kingdom, their conduct. So God is saying we, even us as human, we have role models. We have people who teach us. We have people who motivate us. The ant, the small animal, does not have anybody. So what's your excuse? What's my excuse? He says, provides her supplies in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. What does she do? Look, God provides food. The Bible says in Psalm 104, it says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation for the service of men, that he may bring forth food from earth. But the concept is God brings us food, gives us food, but we have to harvest the food. We have to collect it. She works every day very hard to collect what God has already planted in our life in our hearts God have already planted many things you know always amazes me in Jeremiah and in the New Testament it says that a time will come when people will be taught by God directly who is he's teaching you God himself God have planted things in the heart of men. How do I collect it? One of the Western saints she used to say, she said, if only people would listen just a little to the voice of the Holy Spirit, they would grow with God so quickly. Just a little. They will grow with God so quickly. There's actually uh, some stories about the ant. They said she would carry her baby to the door of the hole that she hides in, that the baby might be exposed to the sun. And the crazy thing about the ant is that she does not see her success immediately. She continues to collect every day. The ant is so small. Every day, gets up in the morning collect something very small all day, puts it in its hole. You look at it, what have you done? Nothing, so small. I can't even see it. But over time, over the three seasons, when she can work, she finds that she has collected so much. She has grown so much. Every day is a chance for us to collect what God have put in the hearts of men. He says, how long will you slumber or sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? He's saying how long. What does, he, what does he mean by how long? The harvest has already been in progress. People have been already collecting the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why are you sleeping? The seasons are passing by. Your days are passing by quickly. Why are you still lazy? I remember when we were taking, when I was working before priesthood, when we were taking a training, they used to tell us something interesting. They used to say, no action 
is an action. No action is an action. If I do nothing, there is an action that I've chose and it will have its consequences. So somebody has to be awakened. We have to be awakened from our daydreaming and our laziness and all these things because people are getting closer to God. People are being transformed. People are becoming holy all over the world. Especially for us here in the West, it becomes sometimes difficult for us to grow with God because of all the luxury that we live and the easiness of life and the accessibility of food and shelter and water and everything. So we have to be careful. And then he's talking, he's describing the lazy. What does the lazy person does? He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. What is he saying? Saying a lazy, a lazy person, you tell him, when are you going to wake up? He blocked up, let me snooze. Let me stretch. The word sleep, by the way, here, it's actually coming in plural sense. means multiple naps. Get up, tap one more nap, tap another nap. What does that mean? It means a lazy person refuses to face the world. You find him hiding in his bas in basement or his bedroom, playing video game all day long. He's lazy, doesn't want to do anything. The, night, the, the, the interesting thing about the lazy, lazy person, he does not want to commit himself to refusal. He doesn't want to tell you, no, 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 I won't do it. He doesn't want to say that. He always wants to give hope that he will move one day. And he can give you tons of plans and tons of promises, but he makes no action. And people come up with really interesting stories. You know, a lot of times some people be like, oh, I decided not to go to college because college is a scam. I could make a lot of money, you know, working just the jobs that, um, that doesn't need to go to college. And people come with all these ideas just to justify their own decisions that does not align with being diligent. Also, the lazy person deceives himself by just the smallest acts of uh, surrenders. Like he says, you know what, it's no big deal if I relax a little bit more. It's no big deal if I take another nap. It's no big deal if I skip the church day. It's everything to them There's a good way to justify it. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal. But what happens is eventually over the long term, they have done nothing. Time passes by and they don't know what to do. And actually a lot of some people who follow this path of life, after they feel they've wasted so much time, after a few years, you find them starting to convince themselves, oh, I was sick, I wasn't feeling well, uh, I had so many events happen in my life, my family should have done this and start throwing the blame on other people. The reality is every moment counts. The time of work, the Bible tells us, is limited. You're not going to work for eternity. We have a limited time to work on earth. And I have to take it seriously. But this is the person that the Bible warns us from. It says the lazy person. Do not become a lazy person. 
Why shouldn't I become a lazy person? He talks here in chapter, in verse 11. He says, So shall your poverty come on you like a power and your need like an armed man. Look here what he's saying. He says, The lazy person is not like he lacks food or he lacks like luxury. He says, He lacks necessity of life. Your needs will not be met. Some of the, the scholars would say a lazy person is not somebody who has no desires, but he has actually too many desires. But he doesn't get up and do anything. He becomes a beggar. But the problem with the lazy person is not he becomes a beggar and it's a case for charity, but actually becomes a case of people despising helping that person because they feel that this person is lazy, not able to. Obviously, this is talking about a society especially that had no uh, uh, welfare programs and things like that. So when somebody did not work, they did not really have what they need. It became a big problem for them. And for us too, as the children of God, we have to understand that the time for us to work is limited. The third type of person that the, the, the scripture is going to warn against, it's from, from verse 12 to verse 19, he's going to talk about the person who they call them troublemaker or rebels, people who cause division and problems. There are some people who cause issues all the time. Okay? And the Bible will describe them and describe what is the problem with them. From verse 12 to 19, he's talking about a troublemaker. He says, a worthless man... A wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. So if a lazy person has so many problems, now a troublemaker is much more. Look in the, the book of Psalm 101, verse 3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So if somebody is wicked, or the word wicked, think of it as a troublemaker, causes causes problem constantly god says he, he, those ways will not cling to me there are some people who constantly like to cause rebellion against god and you see this for example in deuteronomy 13 4 you shall walk after the lord your god and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice you shall serve him and hold fast to him some people want people to rebel against god all the time God is unfair, God is unjust. Why are you following God constantly? Some people cause people to rebel against the church. A lot of times people say, oh, the church is exclusive, people in the church are fake, the church is this, the church is that. And it's a, they're speaking in a way to cause rebellion against everything. And deep inside, this is just a way for people to continue evil behaviors, not good behaviors. There's also even, by the way, in the scripture, there's also people who rebel against authority. So we as Christians should respect authority, respect the police, respect people in charge. There are some people who rebel against justice. All these sorts of rebellion is not good. There are some people also who rebel against the work of the community. Like for example, in the scripture, in Deuteronomy, 
God was saying was saying something interesting. He says, in the seventh year, you have to forgive the debt of somebody. But he was telling them, be careful, because unless in the sixth year, somebody comes, needs help, and you say, you know what, next year is the seventh, so I'm going to lose, so I will not give him money. And this is, he says, be lest there will be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it become a sin among you. Sometimes there are people who want to cause rebellion against helping other people. He's talking here about the wicked person who walks in a perverse way. Perverse way Every time he talks about the perverse way, he always talks about the way the person speaks. Some people, when they speak, they use anger, they raise your voice. They try to make every small, small problem a big problem. Right now, also, we have a lot of small groups who are trying to impact how everybody thinks about the systems that God has put in place. Some people use... Um, exaggeration to try to bring their point across any thoughts any idea that causes a rebellion or division against God against his people against the systems that God has placed is something we have to be very careful about something we have to be very careful about the Bible said he winks with his eyes he shuffles his feet he points with his finger. What does that mean? The, the gestures that he's using, this wicked person, a troublemaker, it always shows as if he has followers. Come here, follow me, do this. But also, it's a gesture of division. You know, like, why would you need to wink your eyes unless you're sitting in a group and you want to, to impact a couple of people and not the rest. You want to talk about other people while the other people are not noticing. You're causing division. A lot of times when people, even people hang out from church or family, they try to talk about each other in front of each other while the other person is not looking. That is a, a wicked act that I make fun of people while they're standing in front of me. And sometimes they shuffles his feet and points up with his finger. Sometimes he would use soft means. Sometimes he would use aggressive means. All these things are really important. Actually, some scholars say when, in, when our Lord was sitting on the Last Supper in John 13, 24, when Peter asked him, who would betray you? Betray you? Actually, he said, Peter signed to the Lord. He gave him a sign. He did not physically actually spoke the words, but he was kind of pointing at who was it. He's trying to kind of exclude the disciples from this conversation. It says, perverse tree is in the heart. He devised evil continually. He sows discord. The problem is in the heart. Whatever I do impacts my heart. And whatever my heart, whatever state my heart is, will impact what I do. Vice versa with purity of heart. That's why St. Augustine said, for the sake of purity of heart, we should do anything and be patient with everything and not attached to our relative, land, pride, and all worldly desires. 
So in order for me to have a pure heart, it would require, like St. Augustine said, that I have to be patient. I'm not attached to anything. I have to, I have to be willing to do anything for the sake of receiving purity of heart. There are some people, as, as he's talking here, they, they devise evil continually. They're constantly complaining. They're constantly belittling people. They're constantly making people not trust, sowing doubts in people's heart. They come and tell you, oh, don't listen to that person. Don't listen to your spouse. Hide this from your spouse. Many of problems that happens in marriages start this way. A person would seek help and be like, please help me, but don't tell my spouse. And don't tell your spouse. Evil means. Some people, they instill in people's heart hatred. And that's something sometimes you might notice in the politics that we have around, where people no longer belong to a principle, but mainly they belong to a party. The loyalty is to a, a political group rather than principles and what they stand for. How is it possible that people, just because you belong to a certain political party, you believe in all their stands? The Bible, in contrary, calls us to be peacemaking. And actually, peacemakers are considered to be, the Bible calls them, the children of God. So those who cause division are not the children of God. And the Lord, actually, when he spoke to the Pharisees in John 8, 44, he says, For you are your father's, for, uh, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your heart you want to do. Those who saw division all the time causes people to be divided against each other are described here as people who are a children of the devil. The person who is wicked in his acts, who is a troublemaker, he says, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. What does that mean? When I start taking evil actions, these evil actions will harm me. I was talking to a father this last couple of days, and he told me something really interesting. He's talking to me about a witness by a lady who used to practice magic and evil and witchcraft and all that stuff. And she told him, when I came to church, she said, everything makes sense. In the church, you guys pray on water. People who do magic and witchcraft, they pray on water. They, they use water. We pray on oil, they use oil. Everything, they try to kind of uh, do the opposite of it in certain ways. But one of the things she was telling him, she told him, when I started, this lady used to actually talk to the devil, like she used to work for him straight. She used to tell him, when I started working for him, it was more white requests. Like, I want money, he gives me money. I tell him, uh, I ask him for something good, he will do it. But then eventually, he asked, start asking me to do something bad. And eventually, I started asking him to do bad things as well. Until she started realizing that 
she's not happy. She lives in constant fear. It's a very, yani. For the Bible says the people who are wicked, their calamity will come upon them. If you speak bad about people and spread rumors and cause division, guess what's going to happen? Eventually people will stay away from you. Eventually people will try to avoid you. How many of us likes to spend time with somebody who complains all the time? Or all what we does all day long is talk about himself. How pleasant is a sort of conversation? Eventually, this will cause people to be isolated. A life of gratitude and a life of beauty and a life of harmony and a life of peacemaking is an attractive lifestyle. And obviously he's saying here that suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Sometimes the punishment that comes to them is immediate. So I have to be quite careful because some of us might belittle some words we say. I'll tell you guys an interesting story. I was hanging out with some friends a long time ago, a few years ago. And we were walking downtown uh, Chicago. And then all of a sudden I saw commotion happening between them. And I said, what's going on? And they told me, we have one of their friends. He told them, look, please do not speak bad about anybody in front of me. Because it impacts my thoughts. It impacts how I see that person. So at that, as we were walking downtown, they started talking bad about somebody and he got upset. And they were just trying to fix this whole problem. But in my mind, I was like shocked. This person who says, when you talk bad about people, impacts my own thoughts. This person was actually a very spiritual person. But he could still recognize how people just simply talking bad about other people in front of him impacts his own spiritual life. We have to be careful. Then Solomon kind of goes into a bit more and he says, this, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. So he's going to tell us about six things that the Lord hates. Obviously the Lord hates sin. But he said seven is abomination. What does he mean? The word six usually, because the world was created in six days, it means the end point. Like, you know, like if you do these six things, you've reached kind of a, the end. Seven is perfection. It's like if you reach seven, it means like you're way beyond the top. Like, you know, you reach like your breaking point. So he's not saying, he's saying stay away from any of them. But he says if you have seven of them, you, have, you are in big, deep trouble. Right? If you have six, you've kind of way up there. What are the seven things that the Lord hates? He hates a proud look. A proud look. A lying tongues. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates it. When I look at somebody and think I'm better than that person. Check how many of us have these seven things as we go through them. God resists the proud. The sword of pride is a denial of the authority of God. This is what he said in Isaiah 2. He says, the lofty looks of a man shall be humbled. 
the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Nothing stands in a sharper opposition to the wisdom of God than pride. And that's why there is no greater virtue than humility. That's why in the wisdom of Sirach chapter 10 says, Do not get angry with your neighbor for every injury and do not resort to acts of insolence. Arrogance is hateful to the Lord and to the mortals. The injustice is outrageous to both. There are many faces to arrogance and pride. Selfishness is one of them. Judging is one of them. Anger, self-righteousness, self-victimizations. All these things are act of pride. St. John Cassian said, pride strips away the soul from every virtue. Pride strips away the soul from every virtue. He's talking about a prideful look. Not a private thought. A, prive, a prideful look. Looking at somebody thinking, I'm better than that person. God hates it. Simple as that. Second thing he says, lying lips. Obviously, many people, unfortunately, they belittle lying. They think it's not a big deal, it's a white lie. If I tell the truth to my parents, they will do such and such a thing. If I tell the truth in my government paper, they're not going to help me. David the prophet, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 116, he says, I said in my haste, all men are liars. And he prays, he says, deliver my soul, Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Lying damages many relationships, especially marriages. When people cannot trust the closest people to them, it hurts. You know, when do you see it? When you see how it hurts? When you have a little child, maybe 10 years old, 8 years old, and discovers that mom or dad lies. They are broken in tears. I cannot believe my hero is lying. I cannot believe the person that I respected so much is lying. And that one of the names of the devil is a liar. And by the way, uh, some, of the, some of the scholars I was reading to, they're saying that people who lie, especially when people are young, maybe can keep up a bit more with lying. But as you get older, your memory really only keeps the reality, the truth. So when you lie a lot, you have a hard time keeping track of all your lies. So then you become an anxious person and you become less confident about yourself because you lie all the time. Same thing with people who have principles and don't, do not have principles. People who have principles, they know. For example, in this situation, I always do this. When somebody comes and says, oh, you've done otherwise, it's always a questionable statement. And then he says, those who shed innocent blood. 
Here he's specifically talking not about just any type of killing, but intentional killing. Killing that involves actual uh, judging of the person. Sometimes people might not do it physically because they're scared of the consequence, but they might do it with their own thoughts. How many times, for example, you think my life would be better if these few people are not in my life? It's a shedding of an innocent blood in my head, at least. If I am prideful, if I'm lying, shedding of innocent blood is not too far. Number four, it says, heart that deceives wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil. He comes back again to the heart. What is the problem with the heart? He says, a heart that devises wicked plans. What is a heart that devises wicked plans? Usually the heart that devises wicked plans is a heart that is full of evil imagination. Makes evil scenarios in their head and the hearts. Constantly daydreaming, constantly want to take vengeance, constantly want to humiliate people in the heart and in the mind. For this heart is constantly devising evil plans. That doesn't mean the heart is able to execute them. It means the heart is thinking of them all the time. If you think about our own life, our own throughout the day, how many times in our hearts, our minds, you know, like we dream of getting rid of somebody or punishing somebody or you dream of trying to be better than this person or more powerful than this person. All these things God hates. And then he says, a feet that are swift and running to evil. There are some people, whenever there's an opportunity of evil comes, they run to it. And Pope Shenouda gave us a beautiful test. He said, most of the quick decisions are not good decisions. Most of a rushed decision is not a good decision. The devil usually wants us to rush. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Do this, try this, do this. Okay? And some people call it, I'm being spontaneous. But sometimes it's really not spontaneous. It's like you just rushed from foolish action to another foolish action. And the devil likes to put nice names on evil things to make it sound good. But it's not. He says, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Somebody, a lying witness, to refer to somebody who constantly communicates lies. And by the way, this happens a lot. For example, you find people do not want to upset their friends or their family members, so they go along with their, why, with their lies, with their false witness, with what's not correct. Because I'm embarrassed and I want to lose the relationship, so it's okay for me to lie and to do this, because people will make fun of me, people will give me a hard time. As Holland's Pope used to say, half of the truth is not the truth. Sometimes you could share some facts to give people wrong impression about the whole facts. 
selective, selectively you choose some facts so you can give people a different impression than the truth. And he goes back again to the concept of division. People who sow discord among brethren. Sometimes people sow evil things in people's heads. Even though somebody, for example, is doing a certain spiritual canon. And they share that with a friend. And the friend will be like, that's too much. Nobody else does that. What are they sowing inside their head? To be lazy. You have to be careful about what I'm doing. Because with one word I say, it could make people struggle more in their spiritual life and put more effort or go backwards. I have to be careful what I say, especially with starting the Lent. People wanting to start the Lent, they be like, you know, like you don't have to, nobody starts from the beginning. Nobody abstains. Nobody does this. Nobody does that. And then all of a sudden, I'm sowing all these evil things in people's heads for no reason. Somebody, for example, one of your friends enjoys to pray, uh, enjoys to, uh, uh, songs. Somebody enjoys hymns. Somebody enjoys tasbah, whatever it is. They can't be like, dude, like, you know, tasbah is much better than what you're listening to. Son of your business, he's enjoying it, he's benefiting. Why do we sow doubts in people's heads? We're not all going to be copycat of each other. Let God work in the way he works in everybody's heart. If something is good, I should encourage it. Because God will use it the way he sees fit. We are not here to, sh to sow division or sow doubts in people's head. Next week, God willing, we will talk about lecture 9, which is also going to address the concept of chastity and glory be to God forever and ever.